Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. Hopefully you turn to Mark chapter 9. And I want to start off in this next session. We're, we're on part 10 now. And as we start this uh, section here, I wanted to ask just a simple question. I'm just wondering, when was the last time that you were so desperate and in need of prayer that when you prayed, God started doing something. For some of us right now, we are going through that process. We're facing a difficult situation in our lives. Some of us are struggling with just different addictions or maybe just situations that are beyond our control. And we're asking God, if you're really out there and if you are real, then come and meet me and do whatever you do and the things that you do well, meet me right where I am. And I think for all of us in this room, at one time or another, we will come to a point where we will feel this sense of being overwhelmed and coming to the brink of our limitations in our abilities and capabilities. And that's not a bad thing. I think being living here in Asia, some of us, I know we're not Asian, but you're living here in Asia, but you know that it's all about your abilities. It's about what you can do. It's about the capabilities. And that's how you get measured. That's how you get a promotion at work. That's how you excel in school because you get that mark. And so you are constantly reconditioned that it's all about what you do. And that's why we keep on trying harder and harder. And there comes a point where you will get to that limitation and you realize, I just can't do it. And I think whenever I am personally in that situation, when I counsel people in those kind of situations, and many of you, like I said, are in that situation right now, I think the type of prayers that you lift up really shows a lot about your theology, your study of God, or your knowledge of God. Because if you're like me at times, you want to pray this prayer, Lord, take this away. Why am I going through this? Help me. But I'm wondering if the very thing that we're going through is the thing that God is using to get to where he wants you to be. And wherever he wants you to be is the best place to be. And so that's why I think one of the most beautiful things about prayers that are lifted up are from children. Well, I don't know if you've kind of experienced these prayers of children. I mean, they are the funniest prayers, aren't they? They're, they're hilarious. Some of the stuff, as we get older, you're like, God, why are they praying that? But the beautiful thing is that they're powerful prayers. How many of you believe children's prayers are very powerful? Amen. I mean, the reason why is it's, it's so simple. It's very simple. It's like that childlike faith, and they really believe it's going to happen. Lord, let mommy take me to Disneyland. <laughs> you know, you're like, okay, we get this now. This is what they want. <laughs> but it's just like a childlike faith. And that's why I think they're the funniest prayers, but also some of the most powerful prayers. I want to show you this quick video of uh, children lifting up prayers. They just kind of videotaped them. They go, oh, lift up a prayer for whatever is on your heart. And they recorded some of the prayers. And I want you to watch some of the prayers or listen to some of the prayers and see if they are not the funniest, but also the most simple, but most powerful. Let's watch this together. Realize is that as you're journeying with Christ and as you are walking with him for some time, uh, it's very similar. The type of prayers we lift up in the beginning of our walk with God. And some of you, when I say your walk with God, we're talking about when you genuinely started walking with God. We're not talking about just going to church. When you start getting serious about your relationship with God, many times our prayers are like that. Give me this, give me that. But it begins to evolve. No longer is it just about you. But it's about other things around you. That there are greater needs and there are different situations. Not only that, that your prayers, it's, it's about more the glorification and the magnification of who Jesus Christ is. So that if that means that I'm going through a trial, if that means that certain things are not going my way, but if that's going to glorify you, Lord, have your way in me. I love what Richard Foster said in his book, Prayer. He says this, in the beginning, we are indeed the subject and the center of our prayers. 
but in God's time and in God's way of Copernicus, or Copernicus, Copernicus. I'll get it. I'll get it. Copernican. There we go. Woo, Jesus, come on. Revolution takes place in our hearts. And some of you remember I showed you that picture of things revolving around the sun rather than revolving around ourselves. Slowly, almost imperceptibly, there is a shift in our center of gravity. We pass from thinking of God as part of our lives to the realization that we are part of his life. Wondrously and mysteriously, God moves from the periphery of our prayer experience to the center. See, that's the thing, is that as we deepen our relationship with Christ, no longer are we in the center and the things that we pray about circles around us, but then we move away from ourselves and it begins to center around Jesus Christ and his purposes and his cause. As we're just two weeks into 2023, I'm just wondering if some of the prayers that we've been lifting up has been really about us or about Jesus and his cause. I'm wondering if you are more dependent, more faith-filled as you're praying, trusting, believing. So I want to talk a little bit about that this morning, about dependence on God, trusting in God. Having faith in God. And so the one thing is simply this, and you'll see it up here, is that God works, God works through us when we pray, but if we trust ourselves, we're going to stray. So we stray from the very thing that God has for, uh, for us when we put all the attention on ourselves. But when we begin to pray and seek his face and we realize that those things that God desires for us becomes a reality because we are now positioned in our hearts to be surrendered to say, God, whatever you want, here I am. So let me talk about two things here as we look at this big passage uh, to keep in mind as we talk about how God works through us when we pray. But if we trust in ourselves, we will stray. So let me mention the first point. The first point is this. It's very simple, that we must be dependent on Jesus. That we must be dependent on Jesus. If you want God to work through us as we pray, then we have to be dependent on Jesus. Learning how to deep, uh, depend on uh, Jesus Christ, as we talked about many times, it's a process. It's a process that we go through. It's a process that we learn over a period of time. And in, in fact, it takes a lot of different things that will happen in our lives for us to really know that God is not only working, but he's doing something that only he knows at times. Sometimes he gives us the revelation to say, I'm doing this in your life because I have a purpose for you. But oftentimes, like me and for many of us, we don't know what it is he's doing, at least the final product. So that's why we have to trust. That's why we have to depend on him. Jesus taught this principle to the disciples very early on as, well, in his ministry with his disciples as he was preparing for his death. He taught this principle to the disciples when there's no more explicit teaching on this than John chapter 15. You know this passage well. In John chapter 15, verse 5, it says this, I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And I want you to read the yellow section with me. It says, for apart from me, you can do nothing. There is nothing that you can do apart from Jesus Christ. You can do it, but it's going to be in your own strength, your own power, and your own ability. But there will come a time, as I mentioned earlier, that you will come to the end of your ropes where all your energy, all your resources, all the things that you're capable of, your talents, your abilities will come to an end. And then the question is, are you trusting? Are you trusting in God? So with that, he mentions a couple things in this passage. In this passage to help us to learn what it mean, really means to depend on God. One way that he teaches us to depend on him is through failures. Everyone say failures. Do not forget that sometimes Jesus Christ uses failures in your life 
to teach you how to be dependent on him. We're going to read verse 14 through 18. Listen to what the word of God says. It says this, and when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. This is a really interesting juncture in the journey with Jesus Christ. And let me explain why. Because you realize earlier, as I talked about last week, Jesus, John, Peter, and James, they went up to the mountain and they were experiencing this theophany. This is a visible, a visible presentation of God, a transfigured Christ, almost giving a hint to what Christ will do in the future when he comes in his resurrected glory. So here are three of the disciples. The nine of them are on the base or on the ground. The three are experiencing this incredible miracle. And then they come down. And what do they see? We see that as they come down, Jesus notices that the disciples were arguing with the scribes or the teachers of the law. And in verse 17 and 18, as we have just read, we notice that they were arguing about healing a boy who had this unclean spirit or this evil spirit in him. Now, the problem with this is that the teachers of the law knew the scriptures way more than the disciples. This is the problem. I want you to see what's going on here. If you're going to pick a fight, pick a fight with somebody about your side. But these disciples are trying to pick a fight with the scribes, the teachers of the law. You're going to get schooled. So they're arguing about this man who has a son who is possessed by some kind of evil spirit. And they're arguing, probably, we don't know how they're arguing, what they're arguing about. It's most likely like, well, Jesus Christ is stronger than you. He could do all this and this, you know. And they're like, well, then do it. And we realize they couldn't. In fact, they felt so powerless and probably even discouraged and dumbfounded because of what we already know as we read the story. And what is that? Well, in Mark chapter 6, earlier, in verse 7, also in verse 13, I want you to notice something that makes them feel even dumber or more powerless than ever before. Let's, let's go ahead and read the earlier passage. Listen to what it says. He called the 12, referring to Jesus, he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them what? Say this with me. Authority over the unclean spirits. He gave them authority. And then in verse 13, it says, and they what? Cast out many demons and anointed many or with oil many who were sick and healed them. Can you imagine? Here you are. Jesus gave you his authority to cast out demons. In fact, you actually started doing it. But this one, this evil spirit, they were not able to cast it out. I'm wondering how many of us have felt confused or even discouraged. When we know that we have done something in the past and it works. But then all of a sudden, it's like a new situation, but it looks familiar. It's a new situation, but it's not working out. Can I, can I get a good amen? You guys know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I've seen this before. I've done it before. And here you are now, dumbfounded, because for whatever reason, you don't have the power or the strength or the wisdom, or the understanding of what you're going through at this moment. Because Jesus gave them authority to do it. They even did it in the past. And here is a situation where they're arguing now with the scribes because they could not heal this boy. I think it's very dangerous to trust the past success. This is where some of you are sitting here in our church, or you might be watching online, and I would say some of you depend on your relationship with God from what you experienced in the past, and you cannot do that. 
Just because of your past experience does not necessarily dictate where you will be in the future. Even though it's a guide, even though God is leading you, in any moment that if you trust just the successes and the things that you've experienced in the past, then your walk with God will not be where it could be or where it should be. It is like that person who goes to a retreat, gets all fired up, and they bank on that for a whole year and wait for the next retreat to come up to get excited again. And they go through the cycle over and over. And many of you know the situation that that is not how you develop your relationship with God. Some of you at one point of your life, you're excited to serve God and do all these things. And you're banking on that and you're very comfortable. You're in your comfort zone and God is trying to thrust you to help you to grow in your relationship with him. But many of us, we choose to just be comfortable and complacent. Maybe even apathetic. And so they're arguing with the scribes. And it's interesting because why? The latter part of verse 18, we notice the phrase, this is the father speaking. So I asked your disciples to cast it out. And they were what? They were not able. They were not able to cast out this demon. Knowing this principle that we're not able. But God is able to do all things, to transform us, to help us to understand his heart, to be more dependent on him. I think this is the point where we come to in our lives where you are going to be able to experience great things if you are dependent on him. And like I said, sometimes it's through failure you begin to understand. Oh, pastor, I, I'm strong. Yeah, I, I know this. I learned this lesson before. This relationship is going to be different. Oh, the way I'm making decisions to get this job, it's going to be, it's much different. But the more you look at it, you realize it looks very similar because you're trusting in yourself rather than trusting in Jesus Christ. And I think something that we have to confess and understand is that many of us operate in this human paradigm where it's about what we gain or what we lose. This is important. And this will help us understand why we operate the way we do. It's that every single one of us in this room, we have been raised with some level of conditional love and conditional experience. And this is the part that I, I, I hear over and over again Just people, when I sit down with them in a cafe and we're drinking coffee and we're talking about life and tell me your story and you just listen and you realize that this has been the very thing that hinders you from understanding how much God loves you, that he forgives you, that he accepts you, he cherishes you, and that you are known by him. It's because of what you experienced ever since you were a child. That's why when you do really well in that performance, your parents are doting on you. You go to the most expensive restaurant, you realize, wow, if I do well, then my parents are happy and they treat me well. What if you don't do well? Then definitely you don't go to that nice restaurant because you don't deserve it. And maybe on the car ride or the MTR ride, it's very quiet. And right away you learn that they are disappointed. They disapprove of you. So can you imagine you bring that into your relationship with God? No matter how much you say, no, God is so much different than my parents. Unconsciously, many of us bring that into our relationship with God. How do I know that? There there are times, and I feel it, all of us feel it, when we're not doing well, or we might have, let's just say, we sinned like crazy. The last person you want to talk to that represents anything with God. That's why being a pastor is tough. You step in the elevator, you know when those people who are not doing well, they're like. They're not going to be like, hey, pastor, how are you? They're not going to do that. Because they're afraid. They somehow think pastors have like these new glasses with these like, you know, they can see right into your life. Just to let you know, they can't. I can't. But that's the reality of it. Because that's how you've been conditioned. If you know you're doing something wrong. Or you think that this is not right. And then someone, not just a pastor, but it could be your parents. It could be a life leader. It could be someone who's accountable to you, who loves you. Like the last thing you want to do is see them. Not that they necessarily represent God, but who they are. It reminds you of your guilt. 
So once again, when I see that conditional love, conditional acceptance, they need to learn how to forgive themselves or receive forgiveness from God. And they can only find it in Jesus Christ. I'm wondering, is there something that you have failed in recently? Maybe a poor decision. Maybe a bad relationship that you know that people are loving you saying this is not going to be good. It's not healthy. Maybe you thought this was the best decision because it looks so promising. Higher pay and then as soon as you get there, it's very toxic. And you're like, why did I leave that other job? I mean, we all experience this on a regular basis. What are some things in your life right now that you remind you that you're not able to? Or you're not capable of your own. So once again, don't despise failure. It is God's way of teaching you how to be dependent on him. Another thing that I want you to see here in this passage is not only failure makes us dependent on Jesus, but faith makes us dependent on Jesus. But how does Jesus respond to this situation? Well, let's read verse 19 through 27 and you'll get a glimpse of what ha- what's happening. And he, referring to Jesus, answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me, referring to the boy. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming in the mouth. Just try to picture this. (laughs) Here is Jesus, bring the boy to me. As soon as that spirit saw Jesus, that and as they're freaking out, the boy just happens to be the embodiment or the body in which the spirit is taking over and it's convulsing. And the boy is foaming in the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has it been, this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire, into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us. And help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse so that most of them said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up up, and he arose. This, This is such an incredible story. I hope none of you just feel like, oh, I've heard this story before. It's this powerful story of what we see God doing. When you look at verse 19, it sounds as if Jesus was a little bit frustrated. How long am I going to be with you? How long am I supposed to bear with you? So in that, like, I've shown you so many miracles. We fed the 5,000. We've raised that person from the dead. We've healed those people. He's saying, how long must I be with you until you finally understand that there is no power greater than my power that has been given to me through God the Father, that I have this authority, and I am now giving you authority to cast out evil spirits and heal the sick and do all these things. So the boy was brought to Jesus. The evil spirit literally convulsed inside and threw the boy down, and he started foaming in the mouth. And Jesus asked the question, how long has this been happening to you? Can I just pause here? I want to make one comment I think is very important for us to not gloss over. Jesus asking this question is such a powerful thing because we see the compassion of Jesus. He could have been like, healed, you know, I don't know, (laughs) healed. And then all of a sudden, like the boy gets up and he's healed and praise Jesus. But what does he do? He says, how long has this been? He's like the master physician, right? So how are you feeling? Do you have any symptoms? Like he's literally like, how long has this been? Showing the compassion side that demonstrates the love of God. And the interesting part as the story progresses is that the father does this from childhood. So you got to try to picture this. 
This evil spirit will often throw the boy into the fire, it says into the water, in order to kill him. Now, any of you in this room who are parents, I mean, can you try to identify the anxiety and the fear ever since the child was young? That you just don't know what's going to happen to him. Because if you're by the ocean or by the sea, and all of a sudden, he might just jump in there. If there happens to be a fire, the child is drawn to it and throws himself into the fire. Like your whole life is revolved around this child and you are so anxious, you are so fearful. Because the, the spirit that's in this child, the evil spirit, wants to kill him. Wants to destroy him. In fact, we remember that Jesus refers and says this reference to Satan, that he's a thief. He comes to steal. That's why in John 10, 10, it says this, the thief only comes to what? Steal and kill and destroy. That's what evil does. It comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. That, but Jesus says, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Complete opposite of what Satan tries to do. Death, life. Fear, security. And this is the reason why you notice what's going on. So due to the disciples' inability to cast out the evil spirits, it started bringing doubt to the Father. It, in fact, it shook the Father's faith. I heard about this Jesus, but here are his followers, and he can't do anything. They're arguing now with the teachers of the law. And that is why in verse 23, Jesus says what? He says, if I can? What he's simply saying is, of course I can. He says, all things are possible for those who, be who believe. And the father immediately cries out to Jesus, and he says what? I believe. Help my unbelief. There's something really powerful of having faith. Because when we possess it, then we don't focus on ourselves. The father was focusing on the situations and the disciples were not able to cast it out. He realized maybe this is my lot in life. That might be some of you who are applying for jobs and you're constantly getting rejected. Like, well, this is my lot. That's not your lot in life. Your job does not define you. Or some of us, your grades, it might be other situations. Why is my family like this? And somehow you allow those things to define you, and it doesn't. That what that really shows is your lack of faith. What it really shows is your unbelief. That you actually don't believe that God is powerful. Jesus Christ is powerful enough to work in your life and work in that situation. And that is why the less you focus on yourself, and the more you focus on God, that's when you begin to see the possibility. I'm going to tell you right now, there will be many things in the future that are coming up that are going to be beyond your limits, your capabilities, beyond our church's ability, our church's capability. And the more we focus on those things, the more we're going to be like, I don't, I'm not sure. But the more you focus on Jesus and who he is, that he's unlimited in his power, that's when the faith begins to rise up. So the more faith you have, the more dependent you are on him. And the more you're dependent on him, the more faith begins to grow. That's why Corey Temboon said this, faith sees the invisible, believes the unbelievable, and receives the impossible. Many of you have not yet received the impossible, what it seems like is impossible, because you have failed to believe. You have believed in yourself, you've trusted in yourself, you have depended on yourself rather than Jesus Christ. That's why I'm telling you, maybe what you're facing, it could be in your marriage, it could be with your children, it could be at work with your colleagues, with your boss or your employees, it could be with school, your roommate, whatever it is. I'm telling you right now, the more you focus on yourself, the less faith you will have. The more you focus on your circumstances, the less faith you will have. And that's why you're not dependent on God. So the more you focus on him, the more faith you will have. The more you focus on him, the more dependent you will be. Let me just close out this section in verse 28 to 32, which is also kind of the thrusting point of the hinge of this whole sermon. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, you know, 
You only ask people private stuff when you know you don't want to look bad. It's like it's really shameful. So the disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. They went from, on from there and they passed through Galilee and he did not want anyone to know. For he, was, for he was teaching his disciples saying to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he is killed after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask. So once again, the story is progressing. I want you to follow along. And after they cast out this demon, they go into this house. And then the disciples are like, oh, my God. Tell me, Peter, man, like, you should have been here because you would have been able to talk them back. Thomas is like, oh, I'm not sure. I doubt everything, you know. And, you know, here they are talking and having this conversation. And they finally said, let's just ask Jesus. And they said, Jesus, why couldn't we cast out this demon? Why couldn't we cast out this spirit? And what does Jesus say? This can only come out through prayer. It almost seems as if it's not only just praying, but a special kind of prayer. Not a formulaic prayer, but some kind of prayer that's different than just lifting up a simple prayer. Because this kind of spirit means, references that this is a unique spirit. It is a unique situation. It is something that you're facing that you're not familiar with. Oh, I, it kind of looks familiar, but it's not because it has greater power and strength. And you're realizing, I don't have the strength and the power. So when you look at this passage, you realize that this type of spirit can only come out of prayer. But many of the Greek translation of that phrase, they added a word. And I want to reference to it in the New King James so that you can understand. It says this. So he said to them, this kind can only come out, nothing, come out by nothing but prayer and what? Fasting. So interesting. That this kind of spirit, which is very unique and it's greater than what you experienced before, it can only come out when you are lifting up a prayer and it says, and fasting. There is something that happens when we couple prayer and fasting together. In fact, when you are fasting, you are declaring to God that we are desperate for you. We are desperate for God, you to intervene in my life, into our situation, into our church, into this city. Because food is a sustenance, something that we need to survive. So we're saying our whole life, we are completely dependent on you. As many of you know, in about a week, a week or so time, we're going to start the One Desire Fast, the ODF. We've been announcing it. And the reason why we're announcing it and we try to announce it early is because the hard part of doing an ODF in the beginning of January, sometime in January into February, is we have something called Chinese New Year. Now everything is red. It's not your eyes. You, everything is turning red. And it will this week. And something about Chinese New Year, it's great because you get to spend time with family, you get to eat food, you get these little packets, and you get so happy, and then you do all this stuff. It's, it's great. It's a great time. But I will say this. It's not the best time when it comes to trying to prepare for a retreat. If you don't believe me, all you have to do is look at your life this past December when you were on break or a holidays. Whatever you did this past break, I'm telling you, it's going to be like that again in this Chinese New Year, as some of you will go home. There's nothing wrong with going home. There's nothing wrong with spending time with family. But the predisposition that we have is just to be lazy, not to do anything. We just eat and do all the fun things, which is nothing wrong with that. But one of the things we neglect is our relationship with God. You know, I'm in these groups with some, some of these brothers who, where we share soap. And it's amazing because every single time a break comes, it's like silent. And once again, I don't send my soap every single day. There's sometimes I miss here and there because of my schedule, other things, and I forget, oh, I got to prioritize them. But sometimes some of us, we literally, we fall off on the face of this earth and we just live for ourselves. Now, I'm not saying just because you do soap, you're walking with God either. Because I've seen a lot of soaps that I'm like, huh? They came up with this in like five minutes. So I'm not saying just doing soap means that you're doing really well either. 
But I will say that when you are away without the structure, without the life group, without all this, can you still walk with God and be dependent on Him? That is why when we start this ODF, I'm excited for it because I know that some of you are like, oh my God, excited. I'm not going to be able to eat this. I'm not going to do this. But I'm telling you right now, it will help us to elevate our faith and to depend on Him because all the things that God is calling us to do and the things that we're going to have to be facing in our lives, it has to be through the power of God and not through our own power. Can I get a good amen to that? It has to be God working in us. I pray that all of you will participate. Even if that means that you just refrain from certain things and so you pray instead during that time, I pray that you'll participate. And then in verse 31 and 32, this is the second time that Jesus mentions to his disciples about this upcoming death and resurrection. Once again, they fully did not understand. Now we get into the second part. I want us to think about this now. I talked about how we must be dependent on Jesus. Now the second point I want us to understand is this, that we must be decisive for Jesus. If, if we're really going to pray so that we won't stray, and we got to learn how to be dependent on him. But also, I want you to see in the progression of the story that we have to be decisive for Jesus. The next three stories will help us to see that we must be resolved in making some decisions if we're serious about depending on God. If we're serious about prayer. If we're serious about trusting in him. In order for us to be decisive for Jesus... We have to pray. We have to trust. So let me just spell out for you in these three stories. What happens if we don't pray? Because remember I told you only, the spirit can only come out of fasting and prayer or prayer and fasting. Now we're going to go into three other stories. But the theme of trusting, the theme of being dependent on God is going to be there. You'll see it. And so what happens when we stop praying, stop depending on God? Here are three things that happen. The first thing is this. We will get entitled. There's going to be a feeling of this entitlement. Let's continue and read the story. Verse 33 to 37. Listen to what it says. And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them. Once again, this is Jesus now. He asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they, being the disciples, kept silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Now, this is really interesting. Because the Jewish people... What, when you really think about the culture, it's really about people of rank and title and positions. Very similar to Asian culture in that way. More so Korean and Japanese culture. It's all about rank, title, positions, whatever it is. So the more letters you have after your name, you know, the more honorific that you have or whatever. That's why in Korean, you think you, you know Korean because you went to Blackpink concert. You don't know Korean. The, I'm telling you right now, there are honorific ways to say things on a higher level when you're speaking to older people. And so it's interesting because the Jewish culture, that's what they focus on. It's about position and rank. That's why that was what they were discussing. Once again, let's put this whole story in context. Who went with Jesus to the mountain? Peter, James, and John. Do you think these nine people are like, yeah, you guys go? No. They're probably like, why do they go? How about us? Let me pause here. Have you ever felt that? Somebody gets to do something or somebody experiences something. They're your friend, but you don't. And how do you feel? There's a sense of jealousy. There's a sense of like, wait, why, do I, why can I do it? You, you feel this entitlement as if you deserve it. As if, if they could do it. I should be able to do it. You feel very entitled. So this is what they were doing. And then Jesus says, what were you discussing on the way? Now, can I just pause here? Remember what I said? Whenever Jesus asks a question, it does not mean that he doesn't know, right? Amen? 
A lot of times when he asks a question, it's for a revelation for that person to understand what's going on or a revelation for other people to know what's going on. So Jesus is like, oh, they must be talking about something. I don't know what it is. No, he knows. He knows our hearts. He knows what's going on. So he goes, what were you guys talking on the way? That's kind of like the parents, right? The kids are complaining about some stuff. They go, what are you guys talking about? They already know. So what were you talking about on the way? And then what, what, what did they do? You know when someone's guilty, what did they do? They kept what? Silent. That's like when you're gossiping with somebody and that person walked in. They remained silent. They were guilty as charged, if you will, because they were talking about who is the greatest. And they are standing in the midst of the greatest of all. <laughs> so that's why they kept silent. They were arguing with one another who is the greatest. I'm tired of Peter being the greatest. He, he, he stinks. He's sinking in water. He's always speaking up. <laughs> At least Jesus didn't say, get behind me, Satan. You know, I didn't experience that. <laughs> but the sad part of this whole sequence of the story is the timing of it. Because why? Right prior to them arguing about who's the greatest, what did Jesus do? He talked about his death. His suffering, his death, and his resurrection. Horrible timing. But they're talking about who's the greatest. And Jesus says, if you want to be the greatest, then you have to be servant of all. The point that Jesus is trying to teach, he accentuated by bringing a child. And he says, look at this child. He goes, you got to be like this child. Why is this important that he uses a child as an illustration? Because a child cannot do anything for you. In, in some ways. You guys know what I'm talking about. See, a lot of us, we grew up in this society where you do for something because you want them to do something for you. It is amazing because I saw this. Like, I, like when my wife and I, Christina and I, we got married. We got all these envelopes. Some of you know the story. Because I was a poor youth pastor and we're, we're going to get married. And so I had about like a 300 uh, youth group uh, size group and I simply told these guys and I try to say it nicely I go I know some of you are asking us do you have a registry and we didn't have a registry because we just I mean we should have but we we're just being stupid but you know we're, we're trying to live by faith and God will provide and trying to be all spiritual when we weren't spiritual anyway she was my wife was I was and I'm just like okay just let's do whatever and so we didn't have a registry so we believe that God will give us everything that we need but you know me I'm just like sitting there I'm like how do they know what we need what if we get this blender I don't want this blender you know, what's going to happen here? So I just thought to myself, okay, after we get married, then we're going to move on to Michigan. We're going to start a new life and start this church in 1996. So I just simply said one time, and I decided sometimes when you want the news to spread really fast, you know who to talk to. If you don't want the news to spread fast, there are certain people you don't talk to. You don't want to talk about, right? So we're like, huh? That, that means that's you. Okay? So if you don't know that that's you. Okay? There's certain people you talk, talk to or tell if you want the news to spread, and there's certain people you don't talk to because you don't want that news to spread. So I started talking to some people. Hey, man, I just said, listen, I don't know what your parents are going to do and stuff, but just tell them, like, we don't need anything, but we do need cash. We need, we need money because we're going to start a church. That, that's all I said. So during our wedding, you know, usually they have all these big boxes of presents they give, but our thing was all envelopes. It was great. So we took all this envelope, put it in this big bag, and then we came back to my place, and my dad took out this notebook. It was a weird notebook, but he took out this notebook. And then he's flipping to a certain page, and then he goes, okay, give me their name and how much. And I'm like, huh? And he's my dad. I've known him for 26, 27 years. But he's like, just give me their names and then how much. So we're like, okay. So we open up one envelope. Oh, this amount. He goes, hmm. Next envelope, hmm. Other envelope, hmm. So like, I, I, I'm starting to feel things. Like, what's going on here? And I realized that in the Korean culture and also in the Chinese culture, all the Asian cultures, you have to keep a record of how much they give. So that when their kids get married, you have to give the same amount or higher. Are you with me now? Because if you give lower, you will hear the, Huh. That kind of sound. 
And that's when I quickly realized, wow, this culture is all about you do something for me and I'm going to do this something for you. That's why we are nice to people who have positions, titles, who are successful, who can do something for us. Open that door to that job or maybe bless us with certain things. Those are the people we're nice to. And Jesus constantly addressed that issue of the heart. But how about those who are marginalized? How about those who are poor? How about the children who cannot do anything for you unless they go into child labor, all that stuff? They can't do anything. They can't do anything. Not to say child labor is good, please. I, mean, I, I always have to correct myself because some people take it to the alley and park it there and then cats and all these stuff go around. What can a child do, really? Not much. They can just receive. They can bring joy to your heart when they're laughing and giggling. But what can they really do? They can't do much. That's why Jesus brought a child in that situation as they were arguing who's going to be the greatest. And he's simply saying, look at this child. Unless you are a servant, and not just a servant, but servant of all, you will not inherit or you will not receive the very thing that God has for us. And he's trying to teach us that it is not about how entitled you are. Because as soon as you feel this entitlement, I'm telling you right now, your heart is already moving towards a direction where it's going to get hardened or you're going to totally disobey and do whatever you want. That's what entitled people do. That's why when you get on the plane and they, the flight attendant says something to this person in the first class and they're like, do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? That's called entitlement. So I love these flight attendants. They go, oh, hello, everybody. There's a person in row 2A that does not know who they are. You know, I, I, I love that. That's the awesome stuff. They're so entitled because they think they deserve something because of who they are, the money that they have. And some of us in this room, you might not be rich. You might not have all these things. But there are little things about you that you feel so entitled. In your life group, you feel entitled. You feel entitled in your ministry team. You feel entitled in our church. And you lose the sense of servanthood. That that is what God is looking for when he sees our hearts. It's a servant and he's trying to, Jesus is trying to give a live illustration through this child. Greatness is not determined by status or rank or what kind of job you have, but it's how well you serve. This means that... Every single one of us in this room, I need you to believe this, that every single one of us in this room, we have the ability to do great things for Jesus. Come on, can I get a good amen to that? Turn to somebody and say, you have the ability to do great things. Come on, go, let them know. Not because you have a lot of money. Okay, no, 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 no. Okay, I'm done, I'm done, I'm ready to go. Sometimes I want to say some crazy stuff and you guys are going to repeat it because you're not thinking. <laughs> not because you have a lot of money. Don't repeat it. Not because you have a lot of money. Not because you have a certain type of job. Not because you're popular or like you're so well known or so liked by everyone in the church or in your workplace or in your school. You're able to do great things because it's not what you do necessarily, but it's your heart. And how you do it. That's why I love what Mother Teresa said. I went to Kolkata. When I went to India, I visited Kolkata. And I saw uh, the tomb of Mother Teresa. And the place where they would still have worship in that building. And as I went there, there was a model that was clearly put on a, pla uh, a plaque. And it says, do small things with great love. Amen. Isn't that awesome? Do small things with great love. So you don't need a certain type of job. You don't need to be lot of, have a lot of money. You don't have to be very popular. Just do these small things. Be faithful to these small things, but do it with great love. That means that anyone can do great things for Jesus Christ if you have this kind of heart. If you stop praying, you're going to start getting entitled. Let me go through this next two really quick. We, if you don't pray, not only do you start getting entitled, but you will start getting exclusive. You will get exclusive. Verse 38 through 40, John said to him, Father, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus says, do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able to soon after to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. 
For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. What's happening is that they felt not only entitled, but they felt like, oh, we're like, a, we're the cool kids. We're like the in crowd. And then all of a sudden they're like, hey, what's up, man? You know, like, all right, we're in the in crowd. And all of a sudden they see someone trying to cast out demons. Bartholomew, did you, did you just see that? They're trying to cast out a demon in Jesus' name. That's us. What do you think he's doing? <laughs> so they go, we got to tell Jesus. So they come and then also, Jesus, we have something really important to tell you. You might be very upset, so can you please sit down? Somebody is casting out evil spirits in your name. And what does Jesus say? <gasps> no. <laughs> he says, cool. Okay, this is my translation, SKV, Seth conversion. He goes, cool. They're like, huh? I said, cool. Because anyone who is not against me is for me. Because there is no neutrality when it comes to following Christ. Either you follow him and do things in his name, or you are against him and you do things that are evil. And so what he's saying is there is no exclusivity to being on my side. Is that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who live for my kingdom and do things in my name, not in their name, but in my name, they're on our side. There is something about this exclusivity that we feel so proud about. We're, okay, we're proud of doing all this stuff. This is the reason why jealousy comes up, especially when it means like even churches. I just had the privilege of speaking at one of the churches last night. And I was talking about unity, how important that is for reaching Hong Kong. And I was preaching to this congregation and the pastor that I know very well, I mean, he, he's away and he's asked me to come and speak since it's a Saturday night. I came and I preached and as I was preaching, Man, I just felt like, God, you love the church of Jesus Christ. It meets in so many different congregations, but there's only one church in Hong Kong. Can I get a good amen to that? There's only one church in Hong Kong that meets in many congregations. But it's so easy to say, oh, our church is better than this, or we're better than that, or they're better than this. Oh, man, we're not good at that. And it's so easy to compare and do all these things. But clearly what Jesus is teaching, you're either on his side or you are against him. If they are not for me, they are against me. And if they are against me, they're not for me. So what he says is whether they do it in my name and he does things that only I commissioned you to do, if they're doing it in my name, then let them. As I was thinking about this, I realized so many of us practice this exclusivity. Some of you have friendship groups. And now it's very complicated, so I'm not going to go into all the details. We might have to have a seminar on friendship. Because bottom line is your friendship, some of your friendships really stink. And I'm just going to be direct. I've been having conversations the last two weeks about some of your friendships. And all I can say is I don't know what more to say. Like we need to do some teaching so that you can learn how. Just because you like to eat hot pot does not make you good friends. <laughs> just because you like rock climbing, I don't know, or you like to play music. or do, That doesn't mean you're great friends. Because what if you stop doing those things? Are, are you friends? But this is the problem. Some of us, I don't have no problem with you having these friendship groups that are exclusive because you can't be friends with everybody. But I will tell you that if they're part of your life group and they're part of our church, if we're really a family and you realize that there are some people alone and by themselves and you begin to exclude them because you're just saying we're better than you, then we have a problem. You're violating the very thing that we see in Scripture. We see this not only in friendship groups. I mean, we, we see this uh, in churches as Christ followers. We see this everywhere. It's almost this exclusivity that we're like, we're better. Now, I'm not talking about doctrine and all this other stuff, because in some ways we have to be exclusive, because Jesus is the only way to heaven. That is being, in many ways, exclusive. In the same way, if they go, no, it's not, that's being exclusive. Are you with me? I, I, I do not like the, when I think about so many people try to use arguments and say, you guys are too narrow-minded, you guys are too exclusive, and I, I don't believe that. You, just, you should record them. I don't believe that. I don't believe that Jesus is the only way. That's an exclusive statement. So you're making the same exclusive statement. So let's talk about why is Jesus the only way. I have no problem talking about that. 
But the thing is that, that, that it hinders us from loving, hinders us from serving, hinders us from really genuine caring. Then that's a problem because we're Christians. We're better than everyone else. That's being exclusive to the point where Jesus does not promote it. If they're doing it in my name, then let them do it. If they're not against me, they're for me. If they are for me, they're not against me. So if you stop praying, you're going to start feeling entitled. You're going to get exclusive. And the third thing is you will get expedient. Or there's a sense of expediency in the areas of sin. Let me close out with these verses. Whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Let me just pause here. Millstone is one of those circular kind of like, it's made out of cement. These are heavy things that are used to put things into the water so that it'll hold. It's like an anchor. So they said, put that millstone around that person's neck and throw them into the water. So that's what he's talking about. And then it says, and if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eyes, uh, eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. Where, there, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone who, everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in your eyes and be at peace with one another. Right now, every single one of us should have no, no hands and no eyes and no feet. Because we walk and go to places we should not. We use our hands for different things that are sin against God, and we look at things that we should not. So the question is, what is Jesus trying to say? I'm not going to have time to expound on it, but let me just kind of bring it in like a couple sentences here. It's a strong warning for Jesus that says that anyone who deliberately tries to cause people to stumble or to fall away, that is a sin. Another thing that he's trying to teach is he's using a hyperbole. And it's an example that is to the extreme so that you understand the impact and the force of what Jesus is trying to teach here. He is not saying cut off your arm. Some, some religions and some different people interpret it literally. So they cut off the hand if you happen to steal something. They gouge out their eyes, do all this stuff. That is not what Jesus is. He is not promoting mutilation. We have to be clear. He's using a hyperbole to simply say that you have to do everything possible to be able to live your life as a Christ follower, discipleship, to live in holiness and not to stumble other people. So much so that it feels like or it could appear like you're going to cut off your hands, cut out your eyes and your feet. That's how serious you need to take sin. But for many of us, it's all about expediency. Whatever works. As long as I don't hurt anybody. But you realize you're hurting your relation with God. You know the cool thing about these stories? I was just meditating on this this week and I was just thinking, okay, God, how do I share this? What is it that you're trying to do? One of the things that we have in our church is you could categorize almost, not all, but almost every single sin in life under the three S's. What are you talking about, Pastor? Well, the three areas are self-sufficiency, which is a sin against God. Self-centeredness, which is also a sin against God. And then self-protection. You do everything under these three categories, either a couple at a time or one at a time or all three at a time. So when you think about sin of self-protection, it's all about you. You're protecting yourself. So that's why you will not love someone. You will not do things that God has called you to do. You will not surrender things because you're trying to protect because you want safety. That's why you will not give up things for Jesus Christ, even though he tells you. Self-centeredness is life is everything is about you. The universe revolves around you and it doesn't. And every single time you put yourself in the center, you have sinned against God and you will sin against God. And the sin of self-sufficiency is, God, I don't need you. I am God. Let me live my life the way I want to live it. And therefore, I'm self-sufficient. And one of those signs is you don't pray if you're self-sufficient. 
And so why am I sharing this? The three S's of almost every sin in our lives, the reason why is because the question of who's the greatest is really about self-sufficiency. Look how great I am. Look what I have done. Anyone who's against us is not for us, and those who are for us, pretty much what Jesus is talking about is this exclusivity that we have in our lives that we should not have. And a lot of times we get exclusive and we just hang around with people that we know it's because it's about protecting ourselves, protecting certain things. And then the temptation to sin, using the hyperbole to cut off your hand, your eyes, and even your feet, pretty much it's a sin of self-centeredness. Everything that we do, when you do it because it's all about you, it's about your pleasure, it's about you feeling good, it's about what you get, I'm telling you right now, then you will not only cause people to stumble, but some of us are on a road to destruction. But here's the gospel. That even though our hearts and our lives are like this, feeling very entitled, we're expedient with just like sin, we just ignore it or we just kind of brush it off. What's happening is that this is the reason why Jesus Christ had to come into this world. So that he could live the life that you could not live. And he gives us a different framework. It's not about you. How do I know that? It's because Jesus didn't make it about him. He made it about people and about God's kingdom. So much so that he died on the cross. That's why even in Gethsemane as he was praying, what did he pray? Father, take this cup away from me. The cup of suffering. But he says, not my will, but your will be done. He obeyed the Father. In his will, so that not only for the glorification of God, the Almighty, but also for us, so that we can have a way to eternal life. And that's why the gospel is good news, because in the midst of your self-centeredness, in the midst of your self-protection, in the midst of just your whole self-sufficiency, Jesus Christ died so that you will have life. This is why when you pray and learn how to depend on him, and learn how to be decisive for him, then you will experience things that you could only dream of. And so your heart will not begin to, it will not stray into so many different directions, but it will be on that path that says, God, it's all about you. Help me to make it about you. So one, the one thing, once again, is God works through us when we pray, but if we trust ourselves, we will stray. I'm going to give us some practical things here. And this part is going to be important because it deals with ODF as well. The first thing is this. Practice the abide prayer. Some of you know what that is. If you do not know what that is, you could talk to somebody. But one of the things that we're trying to teach in our church is this thing called the, the abide prayer. You can lift it up in 30 seconds, especially when you're facing a situation. You're feeling overwhelmed. You're anxious. There are things going on. You don't know how to do it. And you need to depend on God. The abide prayer is simply this. A stands for admit. Admit that you can't do it. Admit that you're not God. Admit that you don't have enough. Admit that it has to be God. It's just confession. That's what it is. The B is believe. See, a lot of us, we believe in lies, but we have to believe in the truth. That's why memorizing scripture is so important if you're going to lift up some, some of these prayers. But what you believe is how you act. So what is it that you believe in this situation? So you can say, God, you've told me that you are divine and we are the branches. And as we get stay connected to you, then we could do all things. But without you, we could do nothing. That's your word. I believe that. So as you're admitting that you can't do it, you are now believing in something that is truth, the word of God. And the I stands for intercession. Intercede. Start praying. God, the situation I'm facing, I'm going to go into this meeting with my boss and I, I, I don't know how it's going to turn out. I need you. So you begin to intercede and pray. The D is decide. You decide that you're going to trust in him. Decide that you're not going to worry. Decide that he's greater. Decide in your heart, in your mind, that this is how you're going to live. And then the E is express things. Why is this important? Because something about thanking someone before it actually happens. You know what that is? That's called faith. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you heard my prayer. Thank you, Lord, that you're going to work all things out 
for my good and for your glory. It begins to build faith as you express that. It didn't happen yet, but you're expressing things ahead of time and it will start producing faith. So I'm wondering what would happen if you start practicing the abide prayer every single time you face something in your life. It's going to be powerful. Trust me. Try it. I've done it for many, many years. That's why we brought it into a class to teach you to walk with God in this way. So lift up abide prayer as you abide in Him. The second thing is this. Participate in ODF. We're going to hand out uh, these little cards for you. And so as you receive it, uh, I want you to just quickly... Um, be able to know what, what we're going to try to do. I mean, praise God for just our education team and some of the crews that we have in our leadership. And so one of the things that we're doing here is really helping you to prepare for the One Desire Fast. And so hopefully all of you have received it. Let me just hold on to this for, just hold on to this for a second. And let me give you the last one and then we'll give you some time to reflect. The third thing is pray for whomever, whenever, and wherever. I mean, I don't know if I'm embarrassed to say this or not, but I've actually prayed for people in the men's bathroom. Not when we're taking care of business, but, you know, as we were just washing our hands and we're just talking as we were talking prior to that. And then I said, you know what? After, of course, I washed it and I dried my hands. I said, hey, man, let me just pray for you. Now, I don't highly recommend that. Okay, people are going to look at you kind of strange, but I pray for people in restaurants. I pray for people just even as we're walking with my, our eyes open because I'm late for my next meeting. So I was like, let's just pray as we walk. I pray for people in places that maybe we don't think about praying. But that's the thing. Why do we have to go to a cafe or go somewhere where it's nice and we sit down and we pray? Pray wherever. As they're sharing, you're like, wow, I, I really feel like I need to pray for you. And you don't have to pray at a certain time. You can pray whenever it is. And whomever God brings into your life. There are times when you, you're going to see a need and you just want to, you know what, I feel this prompting that I need to pray for you. So whomever, whenever, and wherever to lift up a prayer. Because that's to teach you how to be more dependent. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.